Well, this book, this book is the most popular book in history. Uh, It's estimated that more than 5 billion copies have been printed between 1815 and 1975. Its main subject, the most influential person the world has ever seen. It consists of 40 authors written over four continents over a period of time of about 2,000 years. And yet there is one clear, central, vital message that runs throughout this whole book. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we uh, start this series in The King, the Snake, and the Promise. Uh, Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of the Bible, and we're going to see that it has massive implications for our lives. Well, because we're looking at the story of the Bible, we're going to start where we begin with all good books, and that's at the beginning. But I want to make some ground rules. Uh, I want to make some conditions before we start this morning. Uh, I don't know how you view the world. I I don't know how you think we got here or uh, what we're here for. But what I want us to do today is to stop, to see the claims of this ancient influential text and hear what it has to say to us. For those of you who have read uh, this passage many times, I want us to stop just for this 30 or so minutes. And I want us to let go of all of our preconceived ideas about Genesis 1 and 2. I want us to let go of the books that we've read, the conversations that we've had, maybe the the arguments that we've had. And I want us to approach this passage today as if reading it for the first time. I want us to approach it today as if we're picking up uh, any other book and we just start from the beginning. Today I want to show that Uh, The big focus of Genesis 1 is not how, but who. It's not about how the universe was made and the process and the details, but about who made it. I want to show that the the reason why I think this, uh, there's four of them. And firstly, uh, it's how the book starts. Let's have a look. Uh, Genesis 1, verses 1. In the beginning, God. So as we open this book for the first time, the first character that we meet is God. Now, for some people, this might be a bit of a shock to think that there is someone kind of above humanity. There is someone outside of time. And as we read these uh, first four words of this book, it says that in the beginning, before anything was caused, before anything caused anything else, there was something uncaused. Uh, an uncaused cause is something that's kind of been discussed, or, uh, discussed amongst great thinkers of our time, like Aristotle. You see, we talk about stuff that is kind of caused all the time, like the cause of my phone dropping when I let it go is gravity. But is there someone or something that explains why anything is caused ever at all? This is such a foreign concept for us to think about that God has always existed that he was never created, he never had a beginning, he just is. Everything that we think about and we experience is, is kind of within time. But as we're talking about, what we're talking about today is someone who is outside of time, and more than that, someone who created time. This is who we're confronted with as we open this great book. In the beginning, God. In the time when uh, Genesis was written, there was, there was no question of, of whether there was a God or not. 
Uh, Everyone kind of believed in some sort of deity, but the question was, who is the real God? Or, or, Or which God did you worship? And so when Genesis begins by saying, in the beginning, God, the author of Genesis is showing that there is only one God. It's not in the beginning, God's, but there was God, period. No beginning, no kind of creation, just God. I want you to just think about that for a second. God has always existed, and he will continue to always exist. Kind of blows your mind a bit. What a way to start a book. Well, the second reason that I think this passage is not focused on how but who is that God does something that is extremely significant. He speaks. Almighty, powerful God speaks. He doesn't have to speak. He didn't have to relate, but that's his nature. That's who he is. He's not hidden. He's not some snobbish deity or some impersonal force. But the God that we meet on these pages is a God who is intimately involved with his creation. And that he speaks. He is a relational God. We don't have a God that is hidden, that is um, inaccessible. But we have a God who is known and who is accessible through his word. And so from the beginning, life is shaped and set up with a God who speaks. Isn't it incredible that we can know and we can relate to the God who is outside of time, the God that has always existed? And this God speaks to us now here. We get, we get a front row seat. We get to hear the one who has been, who always is. We get to hear from God. Look what he says. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The third reason that this this passage is not focused on the how, but the who is because God creates. And I think this is crazy (laughs) that God says, let there be light, and there is. He just speaks and light comes into existence. Imagine what that was like. Imagine if you heard those words and then bang, light comes into existence for the very first time. But even more, imagine doing that. Imagine if you had the power and the authority to be able to say, let there be light, and there was. I mean, that takes voice activation to a whole new level. I have a hard enough time trying to get Siri to understand what I'm saying. I go call Abby, and it goes, you have an abdomen problem? I'm like, no. (laughs) No one's like this. No one can order reality with their voice. God spoke and it was created. He created with his words. There was nothing special about his words. I can say, let there be light. Nothing's going to happen. The key is that it's not the words, but whose words they are. They are the words of almighty, powerful God. And all throughout this passage, we see that God simply speaks and it is so. And this is kind of my favorite part of this whole passage. Have a look. Uh, It's not on the screen. I'll just say verse three. He goes, let there be light. And there was light. Verse six, let there be an expanse between the waters. And it was so. Verse nine, let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
Verse 11, let the earth produce vegetation, and it was so. It's crazy because it's almost written in a a way that's kind of mundane as if just kind of expected. Like, yeah, it's nothing new. God just spoke, and and it kind of, it was so. But, But I think this is incredible. Surely this is a magnificent God that he speaks in existence uh, and, and things come into existence. We might come with all sorts of views and preconceived ideas on what this passage is about, but what is clear as day is that it is all about God. And, and just in case you're not convinced, check this out. Verse 3, then God says. Verse 4, God saw and God separated. Verse 5, God called. Verse 6, God said. Verse 7, God made. Verse 8, God called. Verse 9, God said. Verse 10, God called and God saw. Verse 14, God said. Verse 16, God made. Verse 17, God placed. Verse 20, God said. Verse 21, God created and God saw. Verse 22, God blessed. Verse 24, God said. Verse 25, God made. Verse 26, God said. Verse 27, God created. Verse 28, God blessed. Verse 29, God saw. Verse 31, God saw. God, 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 God. This passage is saturated with God. We can't come away from this passage today and think that it's focused on anything else than God. We could sit down and we could debate all day whether we think creation was a literal seven days or whether it's a symbol for a period of time. But the big idea, the big point of Genesis 1 is who created the universe. The focus of this passage is about God. And he created the heavens and the earth from nothing. This is who we are confronted with as we open this book. Well, the fourth reason that I think this passage uh, is not focused on how but who is because God defines. Not only does God make, but he makes with a purpose. He defines what everything is, how it is to be used. In fact, God defines what good is. Have a look at verse 9 to 10. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and he called the gathering of the water seas, and God saw that it was good. How do we know what good is or good isn't? Not just what do, you th- what do you think good is, but what good actually is. God defines what good is. The basis for a universal moral order is that God defines what good is. The basis for environmentalists saying that trees are good is actually God. What's the basis for an atheist valuing human life? You see, to value human life more than other forms of life or lifeless stuff requires that there is a real standard of value and that there is a reason to care about humans. God offers both of these. When God says something is good, he is saying it is good for the purpose that it was prepared for. And so any time that we try to define goodness without God, it's a distortion of reality. It's trying to define something apart from our creator. God is the one who defines things. And you see this as a pattern all throughout uh, this passage. God speaks. God creates something. 
and then he gives it its function. He gives it its purpose. Have a look at verse 16 to 18. God made the two great lights. The greater lights to have are the greater light to have dominion over the day, and the lesser light to have dominion over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to dominate the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So God creates two great lights. He gives one to be the dominion over the day and one to have dominion over the night. He is the one who sets up the laws of this universe. The reason that the planets orbit the way they do and the reason that the, the tides follow, uh, and are, sorry, the tides are connected with the moon is because God set them up that way. God is the one who gives purpose, who gives function. He defines how things are to be. So as we reflect on uh, verses 1 to 25, excuse me, we see firstly that God is. Secondly, that, that God speaks. Thirdly, that God creates. And fourthly, that God defines. And because of this, the one who creates and defines is the rightful king. God is the one who sustains the universe. He's the one who set the stars in the sky, and he is the rightful ruler and king of the whole universe. Now, I love music. I love all things music. I love uh, playing music, listening to it, writing music. Last year, I I decided uh, to write a song for one of my sister's birthdays. Uh, so I came up with a kind of an idea and a concept of this song, and um, I decided to collaborate uh, with Anna as we wrote this song. And so we wrote it, and we were happy with it, how it came out, and we decided to get it um, professionally recorded so that we could put it on Life FM so that she could hear it on the radio for her birthday, the song that uh, we had written for her. Now, this was our song. We'd written it. We, we decided, Anna and I, if my sister or if anyone else would hear it we decided if we'd put it on YouTube for the world to hear. You see, because we created and we defined who and how people could listen to it, we were the owners. This was our song. We, now, we could choose to pass on uh, authority to others if we wanted to, and you know they could make some decisions, but that was our decision. And in the same way, God has created the universe. He's defined it. He's given it function. It's his. He is the rightful king. He makes the calls. As we come to the end of this verse, uh, at the end of verse 25, in this passage, God isn't finished yet. He then decides to make man, and the same process happens again. Have a look at verse 26. God speaks. Then God said, let us make man. Then God defines, he gives function in our image, according to our likeness. This is our function as humans, as mankind. He created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. That's incredible. The difference between us and the rest of creation is that we were made in his likeness. What does that mean, though? What does it mean that we're created in his likeness? Does that mean that we kind of physically look like God? So you could go up to someone and say, like, man, you've really got God's eyes, or you're like, you've got his nose. No. (laughs) 
Well, what it's saying here is that we are God's representatives. We are the evidence that God is the Lord of creation. Say that again. We are the evidence that God is the Lord of creation. You see, back in the ancient Near East, our kings would go around and they would build statues of themselves. Uh, and so they'd, they'd build these statues all across their kind of land and, and all across their empires to declare their dominion. That they were proclaiming their lordship so that if anyone sort of came up and saw a statue of, you know, Lyndon, they'd go, okay, Lyndon rules and is the king of this land. They were showing their authority, their rule. And so in the same way, God has created us to be his statues. Not to proclaim how great we are, but to show how great he is. And to remind us that everything, excuse me, that everything, for everything, God is king. That's what the image of the queen is supposed to do. It's on our banknotes. To show her rule, her authority. This is how God has defined us. This is our function God didn't create us for our glory, which means like our honor, our, our praise, but to demonstrate his glory, to demonstrate his power. Life is not about you. Sorry. Come to church, you know, Sunday morning. Life is not about you. We need to get this. We need to hear this. Because here's the thing. I, I, I understand this. Like, I get this. If, if the roles were... Um, turned and I was sitting in the audience and someone was up the front and they said, life's not about you. I'd go, yeah, okay, no, I get that. But I feel that often as Christians, this is something that we know, but it kind of bounces off our hearts. It doesn't really affect us. We know it, but we don't feel it. We don't live it. Partly because we live in a world that is constantly, constantly saturating us with the message that life is about me. Whatever is good for me, I define what is good. I'm worth it. But it's not true. We need to hear this this morning. We need to get this, that life is not about us. It's about God. God is for his glory. Genesis 1 and, and all of the Bible is about God's glory. This is the key thing that we're going to see over and over again as we go through the series and we look at the story of the Bible. Now, yes, the story of the Bible is kind of about God's people and him bringing us back to himself, but ultimately it's all for his glory. We were set on this earth, not as praise magnets, but as pointer hands. When I say pointer hands, you know, you like if you go to the rugby or you might sort of see in Americans like baseball and stuff, they have those massive sort of foam pointer hands with like a finger hanging, like going up. And like when something's happening, you see people going like, oh, and so you see like a whole stadium of people like, yeah, that's what we are. We're not, we're not praise magnets, but we're called to be pointer hands, to be pointing at someone uh, other than ourselves. We're to be pointing towards God. That is our purpose. How does the, the fact that we are pointer hands change the way that we live? How, how does the fact that you are a pointer hand change the way that you relate to others? For me, I find it so hard not to be self-focused. 
It's like it's in my DNA. <laughs> I'm constantly battling. It's not all about me. I struggle with this, with this in decision-making uh, and how I spend my money in my prayer life because I'm constantly like, I can do it. I, I want to show people how great I am. I struggle with it in the way that I treat my family, how I love my wife. I am constantly battling with the fact that life is not about me. And this is kind of what's really struck me from this passage as I've been working and and looking at it this week. All of Genesis 1 is about God. Now, Now, yes, we're kind of the pinnacle of creation, but only because we were created to be God's statues, to be his pointer fingers. Now, naturally, when I kind of hear this and when I was kind of thinking about it, um, I felt uneasy. (laughs) I'll be honest, I felt a little bit disappointed. I'm created for God. I'm created to show his greatness, to be all about him. What a letdown. (laughs) Like, honestly, that's what I was thinking. But it's actually the opposite. It's actually an enormous privilege over all of creation we were created to show God's glory in this way. You see, the opposite uh, of of, uh, being a a pointer hand to God is um, being our own pointer finger (laughs) to show our glory. But that is the disappointment. That's the letdown because we're not worthy of glory. It's kind of like being that guy that you see on the side of the road and he's got that sign and he's kind of doing cool tricks and he's advertising for a a, a local burger joint that's just beside him. It's old, it's dirty, it's small. And the only reason it's still functioning and alive is because the owner's parents are bankrolling it. That's depressing. That's a letdown. That's disappointing. But instead, we get to point to an all-powerful, holy, creative, loving, patient, forgiving, merciful God who is so much greater and above us that we don't even deserve to be his pointer fingers. You couldn't ask for a greater purpose or a function than this. What a privilege. As we continue reading We see that we're not just passive statues. We're not just to represent God's rule, but we're also to exert it. Have a look at uh, verse 26b. They will rule, this is talking about mankind, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And then verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God puts us in authority over creation. To rule it, to to watch over it. Humanity is God's ruler over God's creation. And rule here, it's a good thing. Uh, It's a loving thing. When we hear the word rule, we kind of immediately think negative. But it's not. It's It's a good, right caring thing. And so we have responsibility to look after and care for the world that we live in. And in this, we see the relationships and the roles that God sets up for his creation. Firstly, God is the king and the ruler over all creation. He rules man 
And he gives man the authority to rule creation. Now, it's interesting that we have no problem with being the rulers of creation. Like, generally, most people, like, they don't really have an issue that we've been given authority to rule creation. But we struggle to get our heads around and to accept the fact that God is the rightful ruler of us. And that the only reason that we have the authority and the responsibility that we have is because God gave it to us. As we open this book, as we look at the beginning and it's showing that God is king, that he is God, that he spoke, that he created, that he defined. This is the foundational building block of everything, that it's all made by God. Even you, even me, we are stamped with his image. And this isn't just some sort of beginning idea, just something that sort of starts in the book and then dies out, but it's, it's central to the rest of the Bible. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says uh, in Colossians 1. This is Paul uh, talking about Jesus. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Paul tells us that all of creation was for Jesus. That he is the one who created all things, and they were all created for him. What's more, in verse 17, we see that he actually holds all things together. That he's the one who sustains the world, and without him, we wouldn't exist. But so what? Why does this kind of matter? How, how does this affect me? As we've kind of looked at Genesis 1 and we've looked at who God is and kind of ha- that he creates, that he defines, how should this affect me? What should my response be? Have a look at Revelation 4 verse 11 <clears throat> that Michael introed uh, in his, uh, this morning. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Because you have created all things, and because of your will, they exist, and they were created. Sorry. What's the point? God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our praise. Not worshiping this God is to ignore the reality that He is God. It's to worship uh, something or, or someone other than Him. And that is so offensive. To live a life being the finger pointer to anything else other than God is cutting yourself short. It's living a life short of its potential, of its purpose. God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. So as we've looked at Genesis 1 today, it may not have been what you Uh, we're expecting. But I'm convinced that as we open this book at the beginning, we read it from its opening chapter, from its opening verse, it is focusing more on the who rather than the how. And that who is God. I wonder today if your life is defined by pointing to God. I wonder if you are living within the purpose that you were created for. 
Life is best lived in a way, best lived in a way that is good. Living for God, worshiping Him, acting in line with uh, His purposes, it is the best way to live. That, that, is the, uh, that is where, sorry, that joy and happiness and freedom are found. When we live in line with our maker and right relationship with him, we are living how we were designed to live. No matter what you believe about God or about Jesus, you actually live as if this is true. You value human life. You live uh, with universal moral value. You live to relate to others just like the God who made you. But the struggle is that we have is to remember that we're not king, but God is. The purpose of the beginning of this story is this. It's not about you. You are special, yes, but only because God made you special. He made you to point to him, not yourself. Man, what a privilege it is to have been created for the purpose of pointing to a creator and a king who is above all. Why don't we pray? Father, we are just so in awe of who you are. The fact that you have always existed, that you're outside of time. As we've gone through this passage We just marvel at who you are. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for creating us, for creating us in your likeness. Help us to see the purpose that we were created for. Help us to think through our lives and if we're pointing to you or not. Father, convict us of the areas that we are pointing to ourselves, that we are ruling, that we are trying to be the king and help us to see you clearly for who you are as the rightful king, as the rightful Lord, as the one and true, the one true God who has created all things. Amen.